Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast, everybody. Hayden Grove here with you. Normally, I would be joined by Chris Fedor, but this week, Mr. Fedor put together a couple of special interviews. The first, which you're going to hear today, is with Mark Price, legendary Cavalier, former All-Star and shooter extraordinaire back in the day for the Cavaliers. Uh, And the conversation centered around the last dance in Michael Jordan's documentary, and especially episode three which features Michael Jordan's legendary shot over Craig Elo. So first and foremost, in this week of a couple podcasts, you're going to hear from Chris Fedor and Mark Price. What a special treat. Be sure to enjoy. First thing that I have for you is I saw the other night that that you were watching The Last Dance. Um, What have your impressions of the documentary been thus far as somebody who was on the other side of it? Um, I think, uh, you know, from... From that standpoint, I'm probably like a little bit everybody else. I think it's interesting uh, to kind of get the backstory. Obviously, I'm a little bit different position just because I was in the midst of all that time period, you know, playing during that time and when all this stuff was going on. So, uh, you know, it's uh, I think it's been interesting to kind of get some of the backstories with with some of the individuals and, and their relationships and things like that. Because of some of the matchups between you and the Chicago Bulls and your division rivals and stuff like that, has it been harder to watch it, Mark, to relive some of that stuff? No, it hasn't. It hasn't been hard. I mean, that, it's been you know, shoot, you're talking, you know, almost twenty, twenty something years. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, thirty, twenty, thirty years since all that stuff happened. I mean, it's it's all been dealt with, and you know everything so I'm just kind of watching it you know it doesn't bring any cup you know bad memories or things like that to me you're just you know kind of seeing seeing the story and watching it uh but it, it hadn't been hard for me uh you know that's like I said way way back and, and uh you know brings back disappointment you know like the shot and mm-hmm. things like that were disappointing at the time and you know uh you know everybody still you always wonder what could have been but it's uh it's not like a Um, do you ever get sick of seeing the shot? Uh, well, it's just, like you said, I've seen it so much that it, uh, I mean, it's just kind of, I'm kind of numb to it, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, since you brought it up, going back to that, what did you make of, of Ron Harper's comments on the documentary about his reaction when he was told that Elo was going to be guarding Jordan and not him? 
Um, well, that, that, that was actually pretty interesting. That caught me a little off guard. I didn't, you know, uh, I didn't know Ron had such, you know, uh, strong feelings about that. Um, because I, honestly, I look back, I, I didn't really remember all that. Mm. Uh, maybe it's because we were in the midst of everything and just, but I didn't, uh, maybe that was something Ron had talked to Lenny on, you know, on the side of, or before, but I, I, I didn't ever really recall uh, that situation uh, being like a big deal at the time uh, when, when, the, when the game was going on. You mean in terms of uh, who got the defensive assignment? Yeah, I mean, I just, I just, you know, remember Lenny kind of telling us what we were going to do, and then we yeah. went out and tried to do it, but, uh, you know, so I didn't really remember, or, you know, but maybe over the years or whatever, that's, <laughs> You know, obviously, been something that uh, has bothered Ron. Yeah. So, in the moment, you just figured it was going to be Craig Elo guarding him because Elo had spent so much time on him during the playoff series, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it didn't. It, it, it wouldn't have surprised me if he would have said Ron guard him or Craig. You know, either one had done that. And so, I, you know, whoever he picked, it really wasn't a major factor as far as I was concerned. And I was watching that back like over and over and over again. Sorry for doing that. Um, and the thing that came to my mind, Mark, was that like that was pretty good defense from my perspective. I, I thought Craig did everything he possibly could to to make that as tough a shot as possible. I, I don't know what else Ron would have been able to do in that situation that was different, you know? Yeah, no, I thought overall, it, you know, it was a contested shot. It, it was, you know... It was good effort. To, to me, the one mistake that was made, if, if you can call it a mistake, it's going 100 miles an hour in live person. You know, it's always easy to, to second-guess things, but, you know, it, it was almost like we were trying to, to deny him the pass, and he kind of got backdoor, which allowed him to get to his spot. It's possibly the only thing we could have done better would have been to force him to maybe catch it more toward half-court. And then kind of tried to double team him or whatever. He may not have had enough time to get into his range. Uh, but, you know, that's always looking back. What could he, could you have done differently? But, uh, in the moment, considering, I thought after he caught it, we did as good a job as we possibly could. The guy just made an unbelievable shot. Yeah, I mean, that series, um, I mean, it's 2-2 going into game five. You guys are at home. When you think back on that particular playoff series, like, what do you remember most? Like, what goes through your mind? Well, the thing I remember most, and most people don't even realize because they didn't even mention it, uh, you know, on, on the last dance the other night, they were going through the first four games so quickly. But mm-hmm. I had a really bad hamstring injury that I didn't even play in game one of that series. And... So we had beat them six times during the season. Uh, we were, in our minds, definitely the better team. And I was unable to play that first round, that first game of the first, you know, that first round series. And they, they were able to come in and steal it. Uh, you know, my only thought process, if I had been healthy and would have been able to play, uh, you know, in my mind, I don't think they would have come in and beaten us. Mm. Are those ones, uh, Mark, when you talk about the the final outcomes, are those ones easier or harder to accept when you feel like you're the better team and you end up losing? 
Well, they're hard. You know, that's the hard thing. We, we did feel like at that time we were the better team. Uh, we had proven that during the course of the season, uh, beating them six times. But, you know, there's so many things and factors that go into being successful in the playoffs. And I think one that gets overlooked a lot is a lot of times the team that can stay healthy, mm. you know, uh, is a team that can do well. And, and we were just, you know, we were really banged up you know, during during that series, uh, which, and even still, <laughs> you know, it took that shot to beat us. And so, you know, uh, to me, that's, that's what gives me solace to know that even though we weren't at our best at 100% health-wise, that it still took an, an amazing shot for them to beat us. So as somebody who was born and raised in Cleveland and heard all the stories from my dad and my uncles and stuff like that, I thought it was really cool just to see on social media how many people recognized um, that maybe didn't know how good you guys were back in the late 80s, early 90s. What, what were some of your fondest memories of playing with that group of guys? Well, it's just, uh, you know, it's an unbelievable group of guys. Um you know, I tell people all the time, I don't know why it doesn't get more coverage, but, you know, that 1986 draft by the Cavs is, I mean, you'd have to, you'd have to look at a lot of teams to come up with a, with a better draft class for one team. Uh, you know, you had Brad at one, Ron at seven, you had me at 25, you drafted Johnny Newman in the second round as well. Uh, and then you had Hot Rod Williams sitting on the sidelines who had been drafted the year before. So, I mean, you brought in the five, kind of five core guys that really rebuild that franchise in one draft. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it, it, it was pretty amazing. And not only were, you know, a lot of good basketball players, but, but really, really good people and high character quality people that uh, you were coming in to build your uh franchise around and uh and so you know getting to play with brad and larry and, you know craig and you know ron before he got traded and, and all those guys and hot rod it was just uh it was just a great you know group of guys we were you know we were all legitimately you know friends and you know and you can't say that a lot in some certain situations <laughs> at the professional level you know it's a job and everybody's you know it's a team game, but everybody's trying to do what they can uh, financially and for their families and, and, and things like that. But we really did care about each other as a group. I mean, our families, we all spent time. We, you know, our kids grew up together. Mm-hmm. It was just a really unique group of guys, and we were able to build something, you know, very special, and we're right in the mix. You know, like I said, I don't think nationally we get the, get the credit uh, because, you know, you, when you don't have the rings or whatever, it's uh, it kind of gets lost in the shuffle. But but we were, uh, there wasn't a team in the league at that time that, that really wanted to play us, mm-hmm. I can tell you that. So um, even though you guys didn't ultimately win the championship, you still feel like it was something special during that time. Were there any regrets? Well, the only regret is, Know, not winning the championship. Yeah. I, f- I felt like we were we were good enough to do that, but you know, for whatever reason, you know, we uh, obviously Michael Jordan was a was a big reason. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't just us, us that had a problem with him. Uh, there was a, <laughs> the rest of the league did too. But 
just like I said, just the unfortunate of maybe not always being healthy and, you know, injuries or, you know, for whatever reasons, we didn't catch a break here or there, you know, it's just, I think sometimes you gotta, you gotta be good, but you also have to, you know, get a little lucky too along the way to have opportunities to win a championship. Mark, for people who have never been able to experience it and don't know it firsthand, what was it like to play against Michael in his prime when he was becoming the best player in the NBA? Well, you know, I I have a you know I think a unique perspective on Michael because I played against Michael in college. Mm. You know, when he was at North Carolina, and I was also a teammate. You know, we we were teammates from the 1983 Pan American team. Okay. You know, when, after my freshman year in college, and so, you know, I saw and got to and knew Michael. You know, kind of before he became MJ. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it was like I really got to see his development because I think if you would have any of those guys and you looked at that Pan American team it was unbelievable I mean the roster we had I mean we had guys like Wayne and Tisdale and Sam Perkins and Chris Mullen and and it was just you know uh, Michael Cage and I mean it was just unreal uh, roster that we had I don't think any of those guys well, Michael was he was a big player uh, obviously even in college but I don't think anybody would have imagined what it kind of turned into at the NBA level Mm. So, for somebody who saw him um, at the Pan American Games in 83 and then saw him in college, and then you play against him in the postseason, and that turned out to be his first postseason series win, like, seeing that evolution of Michael, what was that like, Mark? Well, it was just, uh, you know, well, he just continued to improve his game. I think he came into the league... As a great athlete, uh, you know, slasher, jumper, dunker, you know, just highlight, highlight real kind of, kind of guy. But, you know, as his career progressed in the NBA, I mean, he didn't just become a good shooter. He became a great, you know, 18 foot shooter. And, you know, when Phil Jackson implemented the triangle offense, it kind of put Michael in his comfort zone on spots on the floor where, I mean, he was automatic. And so that, you know, give, give credit to him for his work ethic and his ability to continue to improve and get better um, from that standpoint. But he just had the ability, you know, uh, no matter how high the, the level was that you were playing, that he would be able to take it to another level. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, I mean, we were really, really good. and It wasn't like we were playing bad when we played the ball. I mean, we were you know, anybody watched any of those, I mean, they were high level, highly competitive. I mean, most of the games went down to the wire, uh, type, type games between us and the Bulls. And, and yet, you know, when a big, big shot needed to be made, uh, Michael seemed like he was always able to make it. And, uh, that's, I think, what separated him from everybody else. So was there a moment or a season where it kind of hit you like, oh my God, this guy is the best player in the NBA? Uh, well, I mean, you know, the series that they beat us, you know, when you hit this, I mean, I think the first couple games, I mean, yeah, might have had 50 points or, you know, the first couple games of, you know, uh, against this or, and it just, you 
know, it just seemed like he was doing it every night. You know, it wasn't like a one one time deal. I mean, it was just amazing that how he could, you know, play and score at that level on a, on a nightly basis for for as long as he did. So you were talking about the camaraderie of, of those old teams that you were part of with the Cavs, and, and I saw a video clip where it was you, Brad, Larry, Lenny, and then Craig kind of all talking about the shot. It's been going around social media. Cavs' official account tweeted it out, and, and it struck me that, that Larry was willing um, to admit that, that he made a mistake on the shot and, and he should have done something different and he tried to lift some of that burden from Craig about 20 years later or whatever it was. What was it like to, to hear Larry admit his fault on that shot and, and kind of try and take some of that away from Craig after all those years? Well, that's what I, I mean, that's what I love about, you know, our, our, our team, my teammates, uh, all of them. You know, Larry's such a, a great person and a great teammate and that doesn't surprise me that even when Larry would say something like that it was, it was just always about team you know with us mm-hmm. it wasn't about the individual and yeah just we all look back and you know what could we have done different I mean you always do that no matter what game you play or what game you lose it's like you, you look at it and you want like, there's something we could have done differently but that's what I love about my teammates and loved about those guys is that we were we were real. We cared about each other. Uh, we weren't going to leave somebody out on an island. We were all in it together. You win together, you lose together, and it's not one person's fault. Uh, you know, if you lose a game, it's it's uh, it's all of our fault. Do you have a favorite story that that people may not know from that particular era? Uh, like a favorite story in terms of. In terms of either on the court or off the court, just from being around that group? Um, I think, uh, you know, one of my favorite stories was, you know, obviously Larry was a huge uh, pickup for us mm-hmm. uh, when, when he got traded to Cleveland from, from Phoenix in the Kevin Johnson trade. And uh, that was kind of... You know, adding Larry to what we had was, was really what kind of put us over the hump to become a perennial playoff team. Uh, and but when he first got there, you know, obviously he had been in Phoenix, he was happy in Phoenix, and he had traded to Cleveland. And I remember vividly uh, just tells to what kind of person Larry was and, and, and the rest of our team. But we were playing in Indiana on the road, mm-hmm. and it was a close game at the end, and. Lenny had Larry throw the ball inbound, and we needed to score. And I think Larry, you know, made a bad pass and threw it away. We ended up losing that game. And I remember Larry being so upset, feeling like he'd let his teammates down. I mean, he didn't even ride the bus back to the hotel. He like walked. Oh my god! You know, he was like he was like so distraught. But it was uh, and basically to see all the guys come around him and say, hey, look, man, don't worry about it. You know, we love you. We're so happy you're here that you're a part of this. We're going to, you know, we're going to get this thing going. And that was really, I felt like, a turning point. And then we kind of made a run late in the season to uh, make the playoffs for the first time that year. And uh, that was uh, kind of a situation that just kind of showed 
how much we all cared about the game, cared about each other, and that it was about winning and trying to help each other win games. That's great. So now that uh, you're through the first four episodes of Last Dance and you're through the hardest part of it, I would say, because of what you guys were on the other end of, um, are you excited to watch the final six? Do you plan to watch the final six all the way through? Yeah, I'll probably watch them. <clears throat> you know, um, I'm, I'm taping them. I don't know if I watch them right on every Sunday night, but I'll watch them. And, uh, yeah, like I pointed out the other day, now that, now that our part's <laughs> over, <laughs> uh, we can uh, maybe just enjoy watching the rest of it like everybody else. Great stuff, Mark. I really appreciate you doing this. Thanks again. All right, take care. That was Mark Price and Chris Fedor. Thanks so much to Mark for joining us. And be sure to look out for an upcoming podcast later this week as the Wine and Gold Talk podcast continues. Thanks so much for joining us. Take care.